0: Best Book Bits podcast brings you Ricardo Gonzalez, founder, CEO, author, public speaker, and internationally respected advisor to leaders. He's the author of multiple books, including The Six Stages of Cultural Mastery, The Six Stages of Cultural Sales, The Cultural Transformation Manifesto, and The Twelve Hidden Truths to Learning in Spanish. His latest book, To Belong or Not to Belong, real talk on creating a culture where people long to be, it's what we'll deep dive into today. Ricardo, thanks for being on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Um, looking forward to this conversation. I, I hope I belong here. So
0: <laughs> No, you definitely do. Pleasure. Let's rewind your story. Tell us about your upbringing and how your story unfolded. I think your father's Puerto Rican, your mom's from Kentucky, and you call yourself your the Puerto Rican hillbillies. My dad was one of
1: um, 27 children from the same father raised up in the mountains of Puerto Rico, which is, for those who don't know, a small island in the Caribbean, uh, about 3.5 million people or so, uh, U.S. territory. And so my mother was an orphan from the state of Kentucky. I mean, you couldn't get two cultures that were so dissimilar, right? And, you know, it's just growing up, it was one of those things where you just had this, you know, not just a lot of cultural richness, but we had a lot of cultural conflict. Um, You know, things that I look back and I go, wow, my my parents really just didn't get each other, right? And and so that was really a lot of the driver for me to really kind of dig into the whole cultural, uh, multicultural leadership, you know, how do we have uh, proper relationships with people who are very different from ourselves, you know, whose beliefs and values and their thinking is different from ours and You know, unfortunately, we're living in days right now, Michael, where if people think different from some people, then it's it's caused to, you know, to to you know disrespect them or try to somehow cancel them out. And I think that we're we're living some very troubled times culturally. And so, you know, this has been my life work, and I I think it's probably more needed now than it's ever been needed.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the whole cancel culture thing, it should be all inclusive culture instead of cancel culture. We should be trying to understand where other people are coming from instead of shutting people off and, and turning off the other, the voice as well. Tell, what what is, can you talk a little bit about what is the Six Stages group and the Bilingual America and how you sort of started those?
1: Yeah, so Bilingual America started in 92. Um, primarily, I'd, I'd moved back to the US from Puerto Rico and I was really missing the culture, the language. And um, I, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and there I, I felt that there was this, You know, there was a movement of, like, Spanish-speaking people into the Atlanta area at that time. It wasn't a lot, but you could start to see it happening, which created a desire on the part of a lot of uh, non-Hispanics, non-Latinos, to understand the culture and the language. So I I just started doing some things on the weekend, and it just took off. I mean, we went, we we doubled in size every year for nine years straight. So I think think the first year we did about $30,000 in business, just me teaching and doing some things. Uh, the next year we did 60, the next year we did 120 and we, we literally doubled every year for nine years. It was just one of those things. And, um, then I started doing more writing and conference speaking and, uh, didn't so much enjoy the management of the business side of things, really enjoyed being with people really just that, that side of the business. And so, uh, I kind of worked myself out of the day to day.
0: Awesome. And you've written a few books, but well, which one was your first one? And any favorite one so far?
1: Yeah, the first one was actually the Twelve Hidden Truths to Learning Spanish, and and, and it's actually the one who that's made us the most money because it it really lays out the philosophy of what it takes for adults to learn Spanish, and and most people are just going about it completely incorrectly. They're frustrated as all get out, and then when they read that book, they they get hope and they realize that hey, this is a smart approach to this, and if I do these things, I'll actually get results. So we. We just do in our courses what the philosophy of the book lays out, right? And so I just actually give that book away. I don't even sell it anymore. I just give it away because it, it really, when people read it, a lot of those people actually come into our Spanish course because they, they, they understand what it takes, right? And it's honest. It's very transparent. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, right? But it's very smart. And, you know, a lot of people are just trying to learn language in ways that aren't very smart. <laughs>
0: yeah definitely thanks for thanks for sharing and thanks for sharing and anyone want to learn spanish check out uh, the book the hidden 12 truths of learning spanish now your new book uh, called to belong or not to belong what made you write a book about belonging
1: first of all i've never really felt like i belonged anywhere uh, because i'm of mixed uh, cultures and and so when i would be in puerto rico i never really felt like i was really 100 percent puerto rican and when I was in the U.S., I was never really used 100%, you know, because I was Puerto Rican and my last name was Gonzalez. And I, as I got older, I started doing some more traveling. And then, of course, you don't really belong in those places. And um, one of the things I tell in the book is a conversation I had a, with a good friend of mine who was down in Costa Rica, who, I mean, probably one of the best programmers in the world. And he had invited me down and we were in a conversation. And we're so dissimilar in our in our social um, approaches, Right. And he, um, we're sitting out at his pool. He had made a bunch of money writing, um, some code for a European banking system. And anyways, he had bought this huge house down in Costa Rica, up in the mountains and, uh, kind of off the outside of San Jose. And he looks at me one day and he says, you know, we we have a lot in common. And I'm thinking, no, we don't have that much in common, you know? And, and I, so I looked at, I said, well, what do you, what do we have in common? And he said, we, neither one of us belong anywhere neither one of us will be 100% totally at home anywhere ever. He said, I'm American, but I was born, I was raised in Spain. My mother was an ambassador. And he said, that's, that was really my culture. And he said, then I, I moved to Germany. And he said, so when I'm in the US, I never really feel like I belong there. But when I'm in Spain for them, I'm an American. And when I'm in Germany and, you know, whatever. And he said, I'm here in Costa Rica now. He said, and it just hit me, right? He was just absolutely right. And, and I had just never felt that deep sense of belonging. And I think a lot of bicultural, bi-ethnic, biracial people go through this, right? It's this struggle for identity, which is who do I believe I am? And identification, which is who do other people see me as, right? So I just it just, it just struck me then. This was probably, probably a good 10 years ago, uh, Michael. And I just kind of let the whole idea just start to percolate and germinate over time. And then, probably two, three years ago, belonging starts to become this big conversation in the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, you know? And of course, corporate loves to policy everything. (laughs) And I'm thinking, no, you can't policy belonging because what makes you feel like you really want to belong someplace and you want to be there, you want to, that's yours, right? Uh, Maybe the other person it repels. So it's very, it's deeply personal. So I wanted to write a book that would be very academically sound, but really much more personal in nature. And I, I think we pulled it off. Uh, at least the, the initial reviews are great. So we'll we'll see when it hits market.
0: <laughs> Thanks for sharing and, and it makes complete sense. Yeah, no one really thinks about belonging in the sense of, what you just explained in it, just in terms of culture as well. So I'm I'm sure there's so many people around the world that don't feel inclusive in in those particular cultures, and the ones that you know, born and raised in the particular cultures. Like if you're born in America, raised American, white, white Caucasian, whatever it is, and and you feel like you belong, we we never stop to think about how other people might not belong as well. And that's just not just in um, countries, but obviously in organisations, in families as well. Deep diving into the book, it's uh, it's laid out in a in a different way. So you talk about to be or not to be, or to belong or not to belong. So you break it down into acts and scenes as well. What was your, what was the the reason be behind the Shakespearean uh, breakdown of the book?
1: Well, I'm not Shakespeare, but I just thought it was a very unique way to approach belonging because essentially you can break belonging into three different acts or three different main topics, which are personal belonging, social belonging, and organizational belonging. And and so I, I just thought, well, this would be cool. Let's just plat let's just pattern this after a play, you know, to be or not to be, of course from Hamlet, right? And in, in the very, in the prologue of the book, in fact, we don't have an introduction, we don't have a close, we have a prologue and an epilogue, just like in a play, right? And, and in the prologue to the book, I talk about how, that for some people, whether or not they get this sense of belonging is actually life or death, right? And, you know, and people sometimes stay places where they literally feel like they're dying. You know, the, the culture just, or the environment just makes them feel like they just don't even want to be there. Right. And it's, and so, and a lot of people, even on their jobs, people stick at jobs, you know, for a paycheck, but they, every morning they're fighting it. Right. And so emotionally, they're just withering up inside. And and so I just thought it'd be a cool way to approach a book, right. Instead of just chapters and things like that, which obviously, um, is good. But so act one is, um, personal belonging. very deeply, deep personal stories. Um, and I use a lot of my own just as kind of connection points so people can get that and th- th- then you want to make that application, right? And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I've been given a lot of stories that, that are, are somewhat entertaining. You know, some of them are painful. <laughs> some of them um, I brought on myself, you know, but I, I try to be very transparent in the book. Um, and I think it really works. People, people want that, um, and then um, Act Two is social belonging. You're just giving an idea. You know the ultimate statement of "I don't want to belong on Earth" is what? Is suicide. And so Act One, uh, Act Act Two, Scene One is is about people who attempt suicide and how that impacts their ability to feel like they can belong somewhere. And it's, it's a different, or, or even, for example, on social belonging, the impact of divorce on children and, and how that makes them, or even runaways. Um, there's, a, there's a scene in, in Act 2 on social belonging on how gangs uh, are, are developed so that they, I mean, it's just the most amazing thing that people want to belong so much to something that feels meaningful to them, that they're even willing to belong to something that's violent, be, and, and it's the very violence that gives them that sense of a safe space so it's just, it's just i think it's a very very unique way to approach and then and then act three is organizational or corporate belonging and that is how do we apply these things to an actual organization or actually to a corporation uh how do we get people to really feel like they belong in that entity so i you know i'm biased i love the book there's <laughs> a couple of years of writing i think you know a lot of a lot of uh conversations and so, but I, I love the um, act one, act two, act three approach. It works.
0: Great, I was just gonna say it, it's great. And we'll jump into uh, some of the stories in their uh, acts as well. Uh, first off, you, you talk about how the, the value of belonging at work in an article published by the, the Harvard Business Review. If workers feel like they belong, companies reap substantial bottom line benefits. High belonging was linked to a whopping 56% increase in job performance a 50% drop in turnover risk. Yeah, can you talk about that? Well,
1: you know, uh, what we call, and there's actually a, a scene on this in act three, what we call low context leaders, you know, they're very interested in bottom line, right? What, what are the results? They're much more interested in the results actually than the relationships. And so you have these low context cultures, but a lot of times they're leading very high context people who, who are very, they need the relationships, right? They need the feel, the touch, the, 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 the sense there. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a good deal of research out there that ties belonging and, and a greater sense of belonging to much higher levels of productivity and, 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 uh, and within an organization. I'm not trying to make that case in this book. Other places have done that, like, you know, Harvard Business Review has done several articles on this and, and MIT. I mean, there's just different resources out there on this. I'm trying to make the case of not that it's important, I think. I'm operating on the assumption that people understand this is important, right? I'm trying to make the case of this is personal. And so if it's so personal, how do we get people to actually feel like they belong someplace? And and so for me, this is much more on the personal level than the professional level, although there's a deep impact on the professional level and on, on productivity, on results and things like that. Um, and, and I think that I'm trying to get us away also from trying to policy belonging to make it much more uh, meaningful to the individual.
0: So jumping into sort of act one, scene one, you talk about your own personal experience with uh, not belonging as well. And you talk about, you know, the the port line is some people don't really belong anywhere. And, And Robert Keane's words pierced your soul. Can you talk about your own personal experience on early in your years of not belonging and how that sort of came to be as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to what we were already discussing, and, and you, I mentioned Bob earlier. I, I don't think I mentioned his name, but it was the same story of Costa Rica, you know? I mean, it's just, you know, I my first language was Spanish. I was born in the U.S. I wish I had been born in Puerto Rico, but I, I wasn't. Um, and so I would have avoided forever that sense of where, you know, there's there's a question that Puerto Ricans ask people, and that's, where were you born? And they're, they're trying to determine, are you a... In their thinking are you a real Puerto Rican or are you a Puerto Rican from the United States who was born over there you know and I'm like I can't control where my parents were right when I was born right and then of course I had the mixed heritage um, but I always gravitated to the Puerto Rican uh, culture and then as I got older I actually moved back to Puerto Rico and lived there for many years um, and you know so it it's I, I think we don't always belong Everywhere we want to belong, right? Um, People don't always see us as belonging. Even if we see ourselves as belonging, correct? And, And so, again, it goes back to this whole sense of identity and identification, which I think is kind of this theme that runs throughout the entire book. And that is, you know, how do I identify myself, you know? And then how do other people see me? Right? And... If you identify yourself, like, for example, if you say to me, you know, what are you, I say, I'm i Puerto Rican. But, you know, I live in the Dominican Republic and I have Dominicans frequently, not, not every day, but sometimes look at me and say, well, you know, you don't, you don't talk like Puerto Ricans who I know. Well, they're talking to Puerto Ricans who are coming from New York, maybe, for example, or they're, they're talking to Puerto Ricans who are coming from a certain, maybe a certain element of society that I'm not from. Right. And, and so... It's just other people don't know how to identify you. And so you you have to do that for yourself, I think. And, and so, but we go kind of deep into those things. As you know,
0: you read the book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, in Act 1, Scene 1, you talk about sometimes we really don't want other people to belong as well. And you talk about the story of Mark and Maggie, who were misfits. Can you talk about sometimes we don't really want others to belong and what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, that's a tough, that was a tough story for me to tell, but I I had to, to make the point, right? Um, when people come to our groups or our cultures or our organizations from the outside, we don't always really want them to be there, right? We don't want them to belong. And sometimes we have this tendency to kind of make their life difficult um, to make sure they don't, right? So... You know, we can, we can talk all we want about how we want other people to belong, but that's not always true. And so I, I had this experience in high school where s- myself and some friends, um, we just made life living hell for these two kids who were new to our school and they were different. They were a little backwards and, um, we just made fun of them. You know, we, uh, we just did we made their life very difficult. And all we were saying to them is we don't want you to belong, right? And some people would call that bullying. I mean, we didn't ever physically hit, did anything to them, but we certainly, I'm sure emotionally, made a huge impact on them because we w- we, we went after them, right? And and so I, I had to confront that in me. I've, I've actually sought out those two people and their real names are not Mark and Maggie. I'm obviously trying to protect their... I, I've, I've actually tried to find them to apologize. I can't find them. I don't, I don't just, I've just i tried, right? And But I think all of us, inside of our, deep inside of our souls. When our cultures are challenged by other cultures, right? When our belief systems are challenged by other belief systems, our values are challenged by other values or other our, our norms of society are challenged by other people coming into ours, right? There's a, there's a strong uh, tendency on the part of human beings to really let that person know, we don't want you to belong. <laughs> right. Um, and and if, that, of course, is the, the whole move to inclusivity, but it is not intuitive. It's a, it's a skill that has to be learned. And as you know, as you're reading the book, these things cut both ways. Right. But, you know, I, I have this great sense of remorse for the way we did with Mark and Maggie because it was just, it, it was horrible we just we just made fun of these kids and i mean they they just coiled up right and it wasn't just myself there were other friends who would do the same thing uh, but we just targeted these kids because they were new and they were different and you know this goes on in schools all the time and, and so these same people get out into the workforce right and they've already experienced this pain it's a bad cycle
0: yeah correct yeah from from bullying in school to being excluded from you know company culture than social personal so it's it, it all intertwines as well so thank you for sharing that story thank you for sharing that story the next scene you talk about the the power of sort of uh, true belonging is about is about ownership as well and i know you touched on it before it's about identifying your own particular culture is there anything you want to expand on true belonging is about ownership
1: yeah so i mean i i talk about the story about my brother ruining my christmas drums when i was five right and um I, and I'm screaming out, those are mine. They belong to me, right? When something truly belongs to us, we're willing to fight for it, right? Look, look at the Ukrainian people right now, right? This country belongs to us, and we're, just, we're willing to die for it. So at its deepest level, when we have our deepest sense of belonging, we're, we're willing to die for it. We're willing to fight for it. And I think that's a barometer of how deeply we want to belong someplace and how deeply we feel something belongs to us. So it's not just how much we want to belong somewhere. It's how much that belongs to us. How much ownership are we taking of that, right? So I I think ownership is is a real important key to belonging. It's not just feeling comfortable. It's deeper than that.
0: In the next scene, you talk about you have go to their games if you want them on your team. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean,
1: that came out of really my relationship with my brother and my dad. And by the way, I'm, before I tell this, I, tell people, I'm very, I actually spent the day with my dad yesterday here in the Dominican, he lives here. Uh, and we're close, but we went through a time, right? And I had an older brother, about a year and a half older than I, who was a great baseball player. And I was a good baseball player. And, but my dad always went to my brother's games, right? And, and there's one story in particular that just came when I was writing this book was this, I had this day where I, I was, my brother was a pitcher and I was a pitcher. And um, my, uh, I, I pitched a no hitter, but my dad wasn't there. Where was my dad, right? He was, he's over at my brother's game, right? And I never, it just, the whole thing just never made me feel like I belonged to that special club, right? It, it, I always felt like an outsider. And and when you talk about belonging, you have to start thinking in terms of, do I feel like an insider, right, to a club or to a group or whatever? Do I belong there? I just never felt like I belonged my whole whole childhood playing sports. And I was good. You know, I'd make the all-star teams and all that stuff, but I wasn't my brother, right? And so I think for leaders that if we want people to feel like they belong to our team, yeah, you know, we have to go to their games, which is a little bit like a metaphor, but we have to go to the things that matter to them, right? And we have to be there. And I, I think that's part of creating that sense of belonging for people. And it was just one of these things that I went through, and so I just use it as a jump point, just to teach something that I think is important, you know, as leaders,
0: right? Yeah, make make sense. Go 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 where go where the games are being played if you want to belong in that particular group as well. So at the end of the day, this this segues into one of the other acts in the book where you talk about some people don't belong in some places. And you talk about the story about the, the elderly Southern woman at the, the Baptist church. And uh, can you expand on that particular story and on how some people don't belong in some places? Yeah. So
1: when I got out of high school, I I, I had gotten involved in a, in a church um, and I, you know, my first speech I ever did was in front of about 700 people in this church for a, a youth group, right? And so, and it went very well. I was, I was a very good public speaker. I, I hope I still am, but, um, you know, we, the, the, the pastor of this church, and it was a large church, encouraged me to, to go into the ministry. Right. And so I went to this college down South in Tennessee and I'm there. And the whole time I'm there, I'm just miserable. Was very strict, uh, lots of rules. You know, and I'm carrying around this last name Gonzalez. You know, in this place, and there are there are no Latinos there. Very few people from other minorities and things like that. I, I just didn't feel like I belonged there. I just wasn't I wasn't comfortable ever, right? From the from the day I from the day I arrived. But one evening I'm sitting in church because you had to go to church. I was <laughs> it's a requirement, right? And and so I'm sitting in church on a Sunday night, and next to me is this. Um, elderly uh, Southern woman, and I was so nervous that, you know how, when you're nervous, you shake your knee and all that stuff, right? So I was shaking my knee and I was moving the pew and this little uh, elderly woman, she looks over at me and she says, can you stop that? Just like that. And I had one of these moments and I go, well, yes I can. I got up, I walked over to my dorm room, uh, my roommate who w- was there, I said to my roommate, I said, take me to the airport. It was impulsive, right? But it was the right thing. I did not belong there. And I left. It was one of the best things I ever did. And so back to your point, sometimes we shouldn't be some places. There are places where we shouldn't belong. And and we have to have discernment enough to recognize that and to be strong enough to know that this is not the right place for me to belong, or this is not the right group for me to be part of. And be able to walk away, you know, I just got up and <laughs> I didn't even tell my parents I was leaving. I mean, I was that far out. I didn't even call them, get advice. And I probably should have, I was, I was 18, but I just left and I, I went home, <laughs> you know? And, and, but the whole point is we don't, we don't all belong in all places.
0: And to expand expand on that, sometimes we find ourselves in in places like friendships, relationships, family, jobs. And we go, you know what, we're not a, we've sort of outgrown the situation and we don't belong there. And then it takes courage and, and, you know, fortitude and planning to to leave that friendship or to leave that relationship or to leave that job or to spend less time with the family or move away or or do things and realize that, hang on a second, energies don't, Connect anymore? Uh, maybe the energy is connected at the start, but you know, over time, people's energies do change, and people change. And understanding that, maybe you need to find a new tribe, and uh, you know, go where your energy is appreciated, or where your where you, where your energy sort of vibes with with other people as well. So that's sort of segues into the then one of the other scenes as well, where you talk about when trust is broken belonging is broken as well. And you talk about how, you know, 50% of divorces end in, sorry, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Can you talk about sort of when trust is broken, belonging is broken as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I went through a divorce and I have two older children and, you know, and, and there's a lot of trust that's broken in that process when, when relationships are are split. It, It happens also in, in, in corporate life, right? Um, I have, I, there's, there's a story in the book. I'm not sure exactly what scene it's in, but it's related, you know, where a friend of mine who actually moved from his country to go and work at the headquarters of a a very large multinational company, been there 20 years. And then all of a sudden they just tell him, basically, we don't need you anymore. Completely broke his trust, you know, and now for him to go into another organization to trust, is going to be very difficult. Right. Um, And so, you know. The human experience is a, is, 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 has this multitude of different emotions and, and um, you know, sometimes we feel this great sense of joy and happiness and almost euphoric, right? And then there are times when it just feels painful. And I think what the book does is it really touches on all of these different emotions. I, I, I talk about in the prologue of the book how, you know, be prepared to feel. You know, we can't talk about belonging without feeling. It's not possible. We can't make it this corporate initiative. It's so deeply personal for people, right?
0: And then moving on from um, act sort of one, act two, scene one, you talk about dying to belong and the plot line is hurt people need compassion and patience. And you tell us some touching stories in there. Do you want to touch on, you know, why hurt people need compassion and patience?
1: You know, I mean, I, I, my mother was, um, she had, she had, very serious mental health challenges. She i I'd mentioned earlier. She was an orphan. I think I was nine at, When I um, Came home from school one day and my mom had taken an overdose of pills and I found her and she kind of had her eyes rolled up and I had to call 911 and um, Some people are just dying to belong, you know, they they, it's so deep, they, they want to feel loved, compassion. And the world's a rough place sometimes, right? And depending on people's levels of sensitivity or experiences, uh, some people just want to check out. Right? And the, that's the ultimate statement of, I don't want to belong, is when someone decides to take their life. You know, recently we had in the US, uh, uh, former Miss, U, Miss USA, um, African American woman. She jumped off a building in New York City. Left left a note. A, seemingly had everything in life. Smart, beautiful, um, famous. I assume economically fine. But she just could not work through her depression. She left a note for her mother. She didn't want to belong. And I, I think that, you know, we have to, when we start talking about belonging, especially in organizational culture, and, and, and also from a standpoint of the way we lead people, it, the, I have a, something that I say in one of my other books, and that is we, we cannot lead people to the highest levels until we know them at the deepest levels. Right? And so I think a lot of people are really hurting deeply inside, and we don't even know it. Cause we want to take the time to get to know them. And so one of the things I'm trying to do with this book is to get all of us who are in leadership, to be able to touch at deeper levels. Right. But that goes back to Hamlet's statement to be or not to be right. Is it better to live better to die? And, and I don't think to belong or not to belong is that far away from to be or not to be. I think, I think they're just they're tied together
0: well i think it's the core belief of what drives us as well do we want to be a part of this world this history the future like it really ties into do you want to be a part of it or don't you want to be a part of it and those who check out check out in numerous ways whether there be distractions through you know so many different vices as well where people check out before they officially check out which is death but just touch in touch Touching back on suicide, you talk about the stats, which is absolutely crazy. You say 130 people a day in the United States um, successfully kill themselves, and that's one death every 11 minutes. But amazingly, there's actually one death by suicide for every 25 attempts. So that means 3,250 Americans a day attempt to take themselves out of this world, which is just a crazy stat in itself just to paint the picture, but obviously globally, it's going to be a lot more as well. So yeah, really, really sad. Then you have to take
1: that one step beyond and you have to recognize that those 24 who didn't actually um, kill themselves, they're out in the workplace. They're in our homes they're in our supermarkets when we go out shopping. They're deeply, deeply, um, they're just in deep pain. You have to be in very deep pain, right? So sometimes, how do we know if we're in a supermarket line and, and the person right next to us perhaps isn't one of those 25, right? And instead of giving them a word of hope or encouragement or being nice, we, you know, we didn't like someone. We'd give them a crass word, and we just dig it deeper, right? We, we just need to be kinder in our world. I need to be kinder. You know, this is—we never fully arrive. We're just all kind of a process, right?
0: It'd be interesting in if everyone walked around in the world with a sign sign around them to tell their their true story so if we actually knew from the outside what their story was or everyone carried around a an open book where we we knew their hurts their pains their true feelings their motivations i think the world would be much kinder but we've sort of the the japanese say we have three masks and those three masks is the one that we show the world number two the mask that we show sort of our friends and family number three is the mask that we show no one and that's really you know life without a mask so we've really perfected the lifestyle of wearing these masks and socially covering up our, you know, deepest fears, our deepest hurts as well. So I think we're trying to break that barrier year by year now and everyone understanding you know having compassion for other people's struggles. And you know everyone went through COVID, not one person did, but the whole world did as well. So I think there's a lot of compassion towards that too. But yeah, anyway, moving on that sort of segues into the other one where you talk about identity and I identification defined us as well and another stat that sort of blew my mind as well i've got two small kids and you talk about 2.8 million children a year run away from their homes in the united states they didn't or don't want to be belong to their own families at least at that time they they left wow that's crazy do you want to expand on that about sort of identif- uh, identity and identification definers? us
1: i think it just goes to that deeper level right if that many people don't want to belong to the one place where they should feel safe. Those are a lot of people out in the society, right? If you take the US, you know, just very roughly, what 350 million, a little bit more At 208, 2.8, 3, that's 1% of, you know, and, and then the, those are kids. So it's not 1% of kids, it's, it's higher, right? I mean, that's, that's a staggering number. It just tells us there's a lot of people out there who are really deeply hurting. And so if we start talking about belonging, we have, okay, well, here's our belonging initiative and efforts in our corporation. And we don't take all of these things into consideration. We don't realize that these are very deeply personal things and that people have gone through really horrifying experiences in their lives. We're just not gonna, you know, I just, I think that my whole contention here is we cannot policy this into being. And this has to be embedded in the DNA of leadership where people learn to care and people learn to really kind of be aware and conscious of kind of, maybe the signs of what people are doing or saying or acting out. That's just screaming at us. I don't want to belong here or I don't feel like I belong here because they may want to, but they don't feel it right. Because there's a lot of stuff out there. And that's what I'm trying to do in the book is to put a lot of this stuff together where people can put this together and they can go, oh, my God, this is happening or this is happening or this is happening, you know, just to give people this much broader and deeper uh, perspective into what makes people want to belong or not.
0: I think the bedrock of, of belonging, as you said earlier, regarding personal social organization is, you know, family first you know, society second, and then three organizations. And there's three pillars that we deal with as a society uh, globally around the world. You know, you can't take away families, uh, society, and, and organizations because they exist in every single uh, nation around the world. And one of the organizations you talk about in the book, you talk a little bit about the Hard Rock Cafe, about the culture of belonging. Uh, do you want to touch on that? Yeah, you
1: know, I have a good friend. His name is Jim Knight. He's a uh, he's- Pretty uh, popular public speaker. You should have him on your show. Um, he's an author. Uh, he wrote a book called Culture That Rocks. And he, and of course, Hard Rock, right? But he was with Hard Rock. And, and he, he would tell me about how they had this culture that welcomed misfits. Right? And there are just a lot of people who feel like they're misfits. Like, you know, I talk about in the book, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Right? Just felt <laughs> as a misfit and his, and his friends, you know? And, and, and people who are different from other people. And, you know, they, they want to belong to something, to some group, to something, but they don't belong perhaps to the mainstream group, you know, and that's what happened to Rudolph. And so Jim would tell me how the culture at Hard Rock was one that consciously talked about being a culture for misfits. And I just like the story. I think, it, I think that's a culture that's worth studying for corporations and corporate leaders. Who are interested in creating a a culture of belonging for all people?
0: To scene eight, you talk about gang up and how people don't want to. People want to belong to a safe space, even if it's violent. And you talk about, you know, in 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 LA Police Department, there's over 450 active gangs that have over 45,000 members. Do you want to talk? I know you touched on it earlier, but do you want to expand on why people gravitate towards gangs just to belong?
1: You know, it's it's that it's that sense of uh, camaraderie. It's the sense of territory, right? It's the sense of safety, of being protected by other people who are, I belong, who belong to that group, who will protect me from other people who want to hurt me, right? They're, they're, you know, we tend to look at, at gangs, especially violent gangs, only on the negative, And so we lose this ability to see what they're doing to actually attract people. And so I, I put that into the uh, act two, which is social belonging. So that just to give people a deeper sense of thinking that, well, wait a minute, people actually want to belong so bad. They want to be, feel like they're safe so bad that even if a violent group is the one that's protecting them, they may gravitate to that, right? I, I'm convinced, this is not in this book, it's in another book of mine. I'm convinced that the antidote to uh, gang activity in our major cities is not more law enforcement, it's better groups. All people are seeking is a group that makes them feel safe to belong to. So I think that there's this proactive thing that communities could do to create better groups instead of addressing on the backside after people have already gravitated to perhaps something that's damaging, but that they feel they belong to, right? I mean, you look at the gangs and they've got, you know, their jackets matched. They they use a similar language. They have a very distinct culture, right? So there's a lot there that we can learn from that. But the antidote, I think, to violent gang activity is for communities to create better groups.
0: Yeah, definitely, mate. mate. Makes complete sense. A lot of them should start companies because, you know, with, with that much loyalty and, and that, that many people and, you know entrepreneurship on the wrong things i'm sure uh most gangs would actually be quite uh, great companies in terms of if they were doing legal uh activities instead of illegal activities as well but yeah that's that's creating uh new groups as well anyway that's just a thought moving on uh you talk about sort of the true connections is soul deep not skin deep and the pandemic that we've gone through and going through is not just on the surface but deep down it's about loneliness can you talk about how loneliness is such a epidemic that you know, so many people feel uh, lonely these days and lost deep connections with their, their friends and family? You know, when
1: Steve Jobs came out first with the, uh, with the first iPhone, the touch screen, he had two adolescents in his house. And he would not let either of his children have one. And he said it would be too addictive and it would isolate them from society. And that's exactly what is happening. You can go to a restaurant, you see a family of four sitting there and they barely talked with each other. They're just all on their phones. Right. And, and I had developed that to some degree. And, um, by the way, there are many psychiatry, uh, associations who now consider the, the phone an addiction. Right. Um, and you can just feel that. Am I being drawn back into it. <laughs> you know, I, is it a, away from me for three minutes and I've got to get back on? Well, that's an addiction, right? And my youngest daughter, uh, her name's Marim, we were out to dinner and I was on my phone. And she, I don't know that she cured me, but she sure she put me on a path to curing myself to this. Because she didn't even feel like she belonged to the dinner. And she looked at me, I was on my phone, she's at the dinner. And she looks at me and she says to me, she says, Daddy... You're not here, and you're not there. Where do you really want to be? And it just hit me. Here's this wisdom at the time of a nine-year-old, right? You're not here, and you're not there. Where do you really want to be? Well, when I'm split, when I'm not really anywhere, guess what happens to me? I feel lonely. Because I'm not fully present anywhere. And we have this global uh, challenge of people who aren't present. And that creates a deep sense of loneliness. And as we move even more to robotics, and as we move to, um, you know, I mean, you could go through this litany of different things that are making us lonely. It's a lonely generation, you know, Echo Smith, which is kind of a pop Culture band, they they wrote this song called "The Lonely Generation," and um, it's a crisis. It's a crisis among our young people, and you know, COVID just exas- exasperated it. It didn't cause it.
0: Yeah, it exposed and shown light on some of the things that we were going through before that time. And, you know, it made everyone pause as well. Uh, for people who wanna get the rest of the book, which jumps into organization and companies as well, um, can you talk a little bit about where people can find the book, find you, follow you socially as well? What's the best place they can get a copy of the book? As
1: well? So just go to the website with the name of the book, to belong or not to com. And by the way, we're, we've got a place there where people can actually share their stories. So I'd invite you to share your story of belonging or not feeling like you belong somewhere. We wanna create this database of stories on belonging so that people can go in and read and perhaps maybe where I didn't touch, somebody else will touch, right? And at least it gives you that cathartic ability. So to belong or not to belong is where you can get the book. Uh, if you wanna learn about me uh, or my other books, RicardoGonzalez.com, uh, ends with a Z, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. So either to belong or not to or RicardoGonzalez.com and
0: perfect perfect thank you for being a guest on the best book bits podcast and to my audience out there yeah definitely go out uh, check out uh, your website buy the book and check out your other books as well so yeah thanks for being a guest again and uh, enjoy the rest of your day thanks so much thank you michael